Welcome to Alaska's Political Pipeline. We have just a few days left before the election, right? It's so exciting now. It's so exciting. I love elections, and I love election night, and we hope everyone will watch us and read about it on our website on election night because we've got some good races, and we now have finished up with all three of the debates. (laughs) What is your takeaway from particularly the last two debates, the Senate and congressional debates? You know, uh, just some funny things struck me. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting for the House race was this: these four people seem to kind of enjoy each other and have been on the road quite a bit together. And, you know, we had the commercial break and we had, you know, time together at the beginning of the debate and at the end. And they all kind of give each other a hard time and tease and people, you know, were kind of snarky about each other's answers back and forth. So you can definitely tell these four people have been together a lot. There is a, this is my, uh, my observation from having done most of my political reporting elsewhere. There is a kind of calmness and respect, though, in the debates here that you don't often see. I, I was amazed how people, all the candidates, pretty much responded to the clock. I mean, they their time ran out and they finished. Yeah. It's, you know, there's a second person to say that to me. The uh, the chair of the UA, the Atwood chair, I heard him saying to his students, too, about how, you know, because he's from Seattle, um, about how he was surprised and and shocked by how people kept to the clock. And they, you know, you can see, I can see them watching the clock tick down and it turns yellow when they have 10 seconds left. And they were clearly wrapping up. I think we told to Unleavy, maybe the most that his time was up, and that was only maybe two or three times. It's kind of an old-fashioned thing, maybe, that, you know, elsewhere people can't wait to yell at each other. <laughs> and here, and I didn't notice any real antagonistic moments. Maybe I missed something. You know, I think you can feel some stressors, but not, and you can see a little bit of, like, I don't like you kind of vibes, but it's not so open. And it's not so, like, people being disgusted with each other. At least it, it's not apparent. One of the things, one of the moments I thought was interesting was when the question came up in the congressional debate about partisanship and what you could do to ease partisanship. And Mary Peltola spoke about the need to do that. And Sarah Palin tried to sort of have it both ways where she pointed to her experience as governor where she dealt with both sides but then also made the point that you know we need strong conservatives but nick begich really went after the idea he He defended partisanship and so did uh mr by yeah yeah that was that was the interesting part and you know i covered sarah palin when she was governor for special sessions and like i've said you know she did work across party lines and democrats loved her at least they were willing to work with her then before the presidential campaign. So she's not inaccurate saying that she has a history of working in a bipartisan way. Oh, absolutely she has. It will be interesting, should she win, how that plays out because her persona in the years since then has not been one of bipartisanship. No. Um, but one other thing I noticed And again, I'm curious your thought on this because you have a lot more experience here than I do. It seemed hard to get these candidates away from their kind of practiced, rehearsed Mm -hmm. 
lines. They did not want to engage in going beyond what they were, what their comfort zones were. And that even extended to, wasn't there a question about what their favorite book was or something? <laughs> oh my gosh, this question threw everybody. This was a social media question. The question was, what do you read for leisure? And during the break, they told me it was the word leisure that threw them. Because I... You know, I'm looking at social media the whole time, and, and people are like, you can't name a book. There's no authors. There's nothing where no, nobody reads. And Chris Byad said, you know, he likes, I think he said, fishing magazines. But nobody said a book like or a particular genre of a book like sci-fi or something like that. And during the break, they told me it was leisure that threw them. But people online absolutely were like, you can't name anything. You know, Palin said she runs, and Peltola says she's reading congressional reports, and Baggage says he likes financial stuff, but there was no, I love mysteries. I love, you know, this author. I just wonder if they're they're so prepped or they're so um, advised to get back to whatever your talking point is that asking a completely off-the-wall question makes them uncomfortable and they rather just not answer out of thought that, oh my gosh, what if I say a book nobody likes, it might cost me a vote. I don't know that they think about it that consciously, but it certainly, it gives me a feeling that, like, this is something which is similar to other campaigns. Politicians these days seem loath to walk away from the prepared yeah. talking points that they run on there. Whatever they're saying in their commercials or in their material, they want to come back to that, no matter what uh -huh. the question is. And a question about what they read for leisure doesn't go, doesn't work. It's, you know, it's funny because they were, I was getting teased quite a bit from coworkers too, being like, what kind of question is that? You know, like people are busy, people don't have time to read. And then the joke in the office was, well, you should ask them what their favorite Netflix show is. And after a while, I was kind of like, I kind of do want to know what their Netflix show is. You're like, what does it say about you that what you binge, you know? Well, the chance to get something that's not well thought out is an interesting reason to ask a question. Sometimes if you only ask the questions that they expect, you only get the answers that that they expect to give and you expect to hear. Anyway, <laughs> uh, in the Senate debate, um, you know, I feel a little bad because the last time we talked about the Senate race, we didn't mention the Democratic candidate. The reason we didn't mention her is that there are all the indications that she's going to finish a kind of poor third. Why is it that um, Pat Chesbro? Mm -hmm. Patricia. Patricia, sorry. Patricia. Why has she failed to generate much support in this race? You know, that's a hard one to answer. I thought her question, her answers to things seem pretty traditional Democrat. I think I have seen on social media um, pretty staunch Democrats openly talking about voting for Lisa Murkowski. And, you know, um, that happened as well for the writing campaign of Democrats voting for Murkowski. I think it's some of those, some of that group's fear of what they don't know to stick with what you know. And I guess Murkowski has done a very good job of co-opting. She's pro-choice. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's many things that she breaks with party lines as it appeals to people. She certainly went after Trump, and that mm -hmm. has to feel good to traditional Democrats yeah, who absolutely. otherwise wouldn't support a Republican. Maybe she's the one Republican that can get significant Democratic votes in the whole country. 
I saw an interesting ad the other day on TV, and it was a joint ad with the two lieutenant governor candidates uh, from the Garrett and Walker campaign. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw this, but they were – it was a well-coordinated ad where they're each reading a line into what the other was saying. So clearly they had worked together on this. And the point was, whoever you vote for, vote for the other one of us second in the ranked choice mm-hmm voting system. And I thought that was really interesting. Again, something you would only see in a ranked choice system, which Alaska is one of the few places that has that now. But I also compare it to the GOP congressional version of that, which was a radio ad I heard where uh, Sarah Palin and Nick Begich are urging uh, their supporters to vote for the other Republican, rank the red. But it was clear that they had not coordinated it. It was uh, they were not in the same location. Um, I don't even know if they mentioned each other's names. It's a very different mm-hmm. sentiment. They and in the debate, you know, there's just no love lost there no. between the two of them, and it's and I, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because they are asking people to rank the red, so maybe they'll have more success. Than they did in the first round. And I'll never forget uh, during the first round when I was interviewing Palin after she realized what the where the numbers are, and she's talking about baggage, and she said, "I don't even know that dude," and I remember thinking, <laughs> it just was so surprising. You should know the dude, <laughs> you know, since you're going to be having to get votes from his supporters, but definitely and yeah. vice versa. Yeah, it'll be. Cent- it, I mean, because you're having to have your supporters rank things. It's just fascinating, the idea. I mean, you drive around town and there's Murkowski signs everywhere and then Peltola. But is it, you know, for both Baggage and Murkowski, and excuse me, Palin, will their voters rank the other one? That's a kind of a big ask. I mean, they did they did most of the time in the first round, but not enough. Mm-hmm. There were a significant number of Baggage voters who did not pick a second choice. Mm-hmm. And there were also a significant number who voted for Peltola second. Obviously, that's a recipe for another Peltola win unless they can turn that around. That'll be interesting because, you know, that was our first time doing it. So now now that people have experience, what is it, you know, will it be drastically different or will it not be? I, I'm, you know, because people kind of get it now. Yeah, it's possible the lesson was learned and the surprise this time will be that the Republicans do rank each other second, and there's a narrow narrow win for whoever the the Republican is who finishes on top of the two Republicans. I don't think again people seem to like Chris Bai's performance. We got a lot of <laughs> got social lot of media reaction on that, but I don't know. Can he make a difference? It seems a long, long shot. It's interesting, though, when you look at ranked choice, it's, you know, it kind of speaks to the one of the goals of ranked choice is to get other candidates' interest in them. And he definitely, like, any time I've spoken to someone who's seen Chris By at a debate, they've come away really liking him and thinking he was quite the star. And so maybe ranked choice works perfectly for that because it is getting new voices out. We'll see. We will see. And I, I can't believe I did this. I've completely messed up the beginning. I don't think I introduced us. So anyone who's still <laughs> listening, I'm David Bernkoff. You are... Rebecca Palsha. And we are your hosts of 
Alaska's political pipeline. And we have a, a special guest who we're going to uh, call up now, uh, who is in Sydney, Australia, waiting to hear from us. We have a very special guest from the future <laughs> joining us right now. Elisa Choi is a marketing expert out of Sydney, Australia. So she is, I think, 17 hours ahead of us. It's tomorrow already. <laughs> but what we got to know each other talking about how artificial intelligence, uh, when you use it with um, social media, can in many cases improve on polling or even be better than polling. You want to explain that to our audience? Thank you for having me, Dave and Rebecca. Um, yes, I am from the future, and uh, we uh, predict future trends and how people will behave in the future using internet data and artificial intelligence. So it includes social media and all websites and blogs. Everything that people engage with online outside a paid firewall is our market data set. And we're talking petabytes of data here, which is 10 to the power of 15 bytes of data. And why does this give you insight that polling doesn't always give people? The key thing around polling uh, is that when you ask a person a question, sometimes they don't consciously or unconsciously tell you the truth about what they believe about themselves or about what they think they'll do in the future. And a key example is when you're asking very contentious questions, particularly around elections, uh, if you've got somebody want, not wanting to disclose their true intentions, um, that's a bias that happens in a sample. And it, no matter what you do with a poll, you just can't get rid of that human element. And so what we do is we actually don't have to ask anybody a question. We're actually analysing people every day as they engage with the world through the internet in their natural environment, meaning they do not know they're being observed. Now, we're not doing this in a spooky way. We're doing it in a way of understanding behavioural interactions in aggregate for a market at any point in time for any issue. So that's probably the key. And the second reason, the secret sauce as to why we're accurate, is because we're actually analysing, one, the content, but two, the emotion in the content. Because through understanding the emotion we know how people will behave because as human beings, we are driven by our emotions. Our emotions drive our behavior, but it's actually strong emotions that will change our behavior, like voting. And so when we can measure emotion in the content, particularly intensity and momentum of these emotions, i.e. sentiment, we are more accurate in predicting how people will say vote in elections. And we asked you, and you were kind enough to spend some data time and some personal time looking at the election coming up here next week, particularly the Senate race and the congressional race, and you sent us some data and thinking points that were so interesting, we can't even get to all of it, but let's start with the Senate race. What is your sense of how Alaska voters, from doing the work that you have done, how they perceive the two main leading candidates in that race? This is interesting. I came from a very cold start, knowing nothing about Alaska or uh, much about the midterms. And so in a short period of time, through the data, the story that is appearing between Mikowski and Shabaka is that 
in this particular race, it seems that personality politics is really front and centre. So rather than focusing on the issues in the content, there's been a lot of engagement around the campaign stories and the campaign games, I'd say, particularly uh, if you've got two of them are both Republican candidates. Um, there's a lot of this infighting story that is fracturing the uh, Republican story for this particular race, which is a disappointment. So with Lisa McCarthy, we're seeing really strong engagement in what we call timeless, uh, and that means that she's relevant, she's part of society, um, she is part of, you know, the, the, she's important. And so that's quite expected given that she is the incumbent and has been in the seat for quite some time, right? So uh, that's quite an expected thing. But when we look at the emotional profile for Lisa, she's got um, an, a beautiful profile showing 100% positive sentiment and particularly described as love, which is really interesting for a candidate. And also there's an element of high expectation, meaning that people are engaged in her story, and they're looking and seeing and paying attention to what happens next. Now, for a political candidate, this is a really good profile to come into an election. On the other side with Shabaka, she's also what we call timeless, which means important, and, however, she's got what we call um, a negative emotional profile towards her, described as despair and resignation. And her story is more mired around the political campaign games that we've been seeing, particularly around Mitch McConnell and the false ads and the, um, the, the really fierce attacking of, between Shabaka and Mikowski, just sort of that infighting is, um, I guess, overtaking uh, the perception of who Shabaka is as a candidate. And it's not so much about what she stands for or what she's doing, it's just about the campaign story. So I find that um, in this view between these two, in this particular race, um, I would be tipping Mikowski to win. And it's, I think it's consistent with all the polling uh, that has been done. So I think, you know, this one is about politics and personality. And I would see that um, Mikowski is seen more as a favoured candidate over Shabaka. When, you, when you're looking at their story that both of them kind of tell about themselves. Uh, Chewbacca has more of like the Trump way. And how does how does that factor into this race? Because clearly like Trump has said he's going to campaign against Murkowski. Correct. So we also looked at Trump in general uh, just to test how much influence he has on the Alaskan uh, races. And he does actually have more influence in Alaska than Biden, which is not a surprise. But the uh, things around Trump and the Trumpian style or Trump-endorsed uh, candidates, they appear to have this common theme of negative sentiment, showing me angry, um, dislike, aggressive. And I'm not really sure that's going to be helpful. I mean, I'm not particularly close to the, um, the U.S. in elections, but certainly in Australia, when we looked at this recent Australian federal election in May this year, uh, the infighting and the pot shots between the parties was not helpful and it actually deterred people and disengaged voters from the election. Now, unfortunately, in Australia, we all have to vote. It's compulsory. However, when you're in a situation like in the US, it's not compulsory. It risks people from, I guess, turning away and not even voting potentially. So I don't think it particularly helps because people want to stick to the issues. That's interesting. So 
it can engage a smaller group of people in your favor, but it turns off a greater group, would you say? Most definitely, we've been looking at elections, and we've done quite a few over, over the times. When it comes to elections, people really want to know where people, where the candidates stand on the issues that matter to them. It's the only time that people ever get to sit around and talk about the issues important to their state or their country. And so, in general, when we're looking at elections, the politics of politics has sometimes taken over campaigns, and it has deterred people from. Um, uh, engaging with the with the issues, and so when you have, uh, and, and it's been helpful in creating engagement. Don't get me wrong, because remember we're saying when you create emotions and intense emotions, be it positive or negative, you're trying to influence people to change their behaviour. Now, in this regard, the strategy based on sentiment would be that you make people angry, it gets them out to vote, right? So that 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 seems successful in that objective. However. Um, if it overtakes a campaign, then you're really got, not going to satisfy those voters who are looking for, for example, the Shabaka story. What do you stand for besides being anti-Mikowski, besides being everything Trump? Like, what do you personally stand for and how do you, you, know, how do you relate to the voters so that they feel confident in voting for you? Interesting. That is fascinating. Which I guess which works better for you then? It seems like the the whole profile of like don't just be anti everything. You have to have things that resonate with voters. Is that correct? That's correct because I mean I like to think that most people in general don't like conflict, don't like fighting. They want to stick with the issues that matter in their daily lives. How is my life going to change after the election? You know, what does it mean for my family, my job, my industry, my people, my state, etc. So I think this is where uh, Mikowski's, um her profile is looking nice and strong because a lot of the content is um, is around sort of what her, obviously her voting lines, now she's, I guess, voted against party lines in, in, in the past, and that's been something that's been attacked by the Shibaka camp, obviously, but also the fact that Patola um, is cross-endorsing Mikowski, I think it's a very smart move meaning that Mikowski seems to vote on principles, not just party lines. And so I think she stands as a stronger candidate, in my view. And in Australia, I think we would love Lisa Mikowski because of that fact. So that's why we took Mikowski. Well, let's, you mentioned uh, one of the candidates on the congressional race. Let's move on to that, which is there are four people in it, but... I'm sure your research shows there's really three main candidates there. Um, and again, you had some really interesting results when it comes to how voters think of these candidates and which one they may think of as more able to govern and solve problems. Yeah, this is interesting. So we have uh, Poltola, who has obviously come in with a beautiful story in that recent um, in recent special election, and her story seems to continue to, um, to she's writing that story still. So she's seen all three candidates, uh, Poltola, uh, is it Begich? Is that how you say it? Begich. I don't know. Begich, apologies. Uh, Begich and Palin, they all have what we call transformational engagement, which means that they're highly relevant, they're also part of the conversation right now, but 
they're also moving with dynamic momentum, which is expected in an election. Now, because all three of them are transformational, we're also seeing that people are actively looking at this race with high interest. All three candidates have what we call active positive asset or emotional momentum. However, their profiles in emotion are very different. So starting with Peltola, she's got the highest expectation and also 100% positive emotions, described as joy and elation. Now, similar to Mikowski, that's a very good profile for a candidate coming into an election. And Begic, he actually has negative emotions surrounding him. So whilst they have engagement, his is a negative engagement. Palin is in between. She's got what we call mixed emotions with a dominant negative sentiment towards her. And you can see what has been shaping this sentiment through the different stories that have been coming through. So I think um, it's interesting. Each of them have very different narratives. And based on the negativity towards the two Republican candidates, I would again uh, be turning to Peltola um, to win the House. Does that help or hurt? You know, you talk about Murkowski kind of having the history with Alaska. Does that help or hurt to have a record and a, a kind of a pre-told story when you think of Peltola? Well, when I don't know any of these people. And so for me, I'm looking at these three individuals purely on the data. And what it says with Peltola is she actually has a story that is quite a lovely story around her, um, her family, her heritage, um, it's clear that what she stands for is coming through, pro-fish, pro-family, pro-choice, pro-oil. Um, her narrative, obviously, is off the back of winning that um, election, which was a surprise. Um, she seems to be very friendly with uh, people across different party, um, party lines, with Palin and Mikowski. It's almost like a teen girl club going on there. Um, she's still enjoying that um, the sentiment of high hopes and that honeymoon period of coming into office. And she's not, her story hasn't seemed to be mired by any of the dogfighting that's been plaguing the Republican candidates. So, to me, I think um, she's just a newbie to the block, but her story is still a very positive one, and her story is focused on her policy stances, which I think um, in this day and age, in this time, um, people in Alaska would be turning to with um, open arms. Whereas with the Republican story, Begic and Palin, again, the negative sentiment is coming around their campaign. So with Begic, it's around profits from his father's books. Um, Palin asked him to drop out, and he hasn't. Um, yes, he was endorsed by the ARP, but um, again, his story, there isn't much to his story except the campaign. Uh, and with Palin, obviously she's got more of a history being um, in government for quite some time. And, but then there's a story around her quitting as governor uh, and some of her family dramas are coming through. Uh, also, her ex-husband's parents have uh, hosted a baggage um, event in their home. So <laughs> all of these stories in the Republican camp, they all seem to be around, the again, the theme of the infighting uh, which is not helpful and, again, could risk disengaging voters. All right. That was interesting. Definitely. From Sydney, Australia, Elisa Choi. We have an election coming up in a few days, and we want everyone to watch our <laughs> 
television program, right? We absolutely do. We want to keep our jobs. <laughs> that's that's the, the money maker. This is just for fun. Yes. Yeah, so coverage begins as soon as we get election numbers. You know, polls close at eight o'clock. Then last time we got numbers closely around nine, and we're going to start coverage on our OTT desk on our website and Facebook starting second those numbers come down, and then our live coverage begins at ten o'clock. And of course, the blogs will be rolling all day. And yes, the numbers will be on the website, constantly updated. OTT. What's OTT for those who... For those, sorry, industry speak. <laughs> Over the top. So that's your Roku, Netflix kind of stuff. So we are on Roku, so you don't have to tune in at a certain time. You can watch us all the time. Watch us all the time. And you can listen to us all the time. And we will be back after the votes are tallied because we still won't necessarily know no. a couple of these races. Maybe the three biggest races we won't know right away. And we'll have to wait a couple of weeks for the second ranked vote count to occur. And that does take a couple of weeks, doesn't it? It should be. The, it's the second. We realized the, the first time we did this, it was the second round of numbers that gave us a better look at what the results would end up being. So we'll see. All right. Thanks again for listening. As always, we want your feedback. And we did get some really good feedback last time. So we do care. We listen. We read. And we respond. <laughs> Every time. Thanks for listening to Alaska's Political Pipeline.